Space, the final frontier. This is the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. Its mission to explore the solar system, to seek out new observations and data, to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. And now the host of the Observer's Notebook, Tim Robertson. Welcome to episode 52 of the Observer's Notebook, the official podcast of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers. I'm Tim Robertson, the host of the Observer's Notebook and also the coordinator of the training program within the ALPO. Thank you for downloading and listening. The ALPO collects and analyzes observations of various solar system bodies and associated phenomenon and publishes detailed reports concerning these bodies in its quarterly publication, The Journal of the Association of Lunar and Planetary Observers, also known as the Strolling Astronomer. This podcast depends upon donations from you, our listeners, to keep it alive. If you enjoy what you hear on the podcast, you can donate to it via Patreon by giving it $1 a month. If you feel even more generous, for $5, you receive early access to the podcast before it goes public. For a monthly donation of $10, you receive a copy of the Novice Observer's Handbook. And for $35 a month, you receive producer credits on the podcast. You can help us out by going to www.patreon.com slash observers notebook if you'd like to join the aalpo membership begins at only 14 dollars a year you can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org in this edition of the podcast we it was recorded live at the sas conference in ontario california uh, this was presentation it was by educational consultant and amateur astronomer rachel freed she have a really wonderful presentation in fact her slides are also available for download in the show notes. So if you'd like to go there before you listen to the podcast, you can click on the link um, for the for her uh, for her slides and follow along with her talk. It was a really interesting talk, and I just had to post it as a podcast. I hope you all enjoy it. Thank you very much. Enjoy it. Thank you. Um, I've really been enjoying all of these talks, and it's cool how relevant it is to sort of the discussion that's already needed. So um, I was excited to see in Brian's talk his Pro-Am-Ed there, Pro-Am Education Collaborations, because that's a lot of what, what I talk about. And then um, I'm excited. I want to be the first person to use um, a 20-year telescope for my student research. <laughs> so uh, there's lots of great stuff going on. And so, um, to set this up, I just want to have you think about for a moment um, how you got inspired in astronomy. Um, if there was anyone that helped you when it first was, what inspired you? Because there's so many people out there who have some sort of inspiration they're interested in, perhaps don't have mentorship or a place to go, um, and we all here can change that. Um, I was not one of these people, but at nine years old, wanted to be an astrophysicist. I am not. Could have been different. I'm okay with the But these are all kids that I've interacted with that, man, if they could find mentors and just they are so passionate and they're tiny. <laughs> so I taught high school chemistry and astronomy for 10 years. And the whole time, was trying to figure out how to make education relevant and meaningful to these students. Um, how do you really engage their passion? I can tell you, every time you bring in astronomy, 
it ups the level of the engagement and the interest. And there's just something about this field that can capture students in a way that we need to sort of use that to help help people understand science. So the um, you've heard for a couple years now about the Astronomy Research Center that was started by us today. Um, these are some students from 2008, and what I've been doing is I've started interviewing students that have been taking this seminar from over the last 10 years, actually. Um, the original seminar was um, done in person uh, at Classic Community College, and they did a lot of astrometric eyepiece measurements at the telescope, and then um, got the restaurant out to some local high schools to work with those students, and then I know there were a number of people from this organization that over the years have helped out. Um, they've gone up to Pine Mountain and done observations up there. So um, there's this seminar has a long history. And I want to mention the, the idea of the community of practice, and I know that Russ has been talking about that for a couple of years now here, but it really is an amazing community and bringing people into this community and, and engaging with the community is so crucial to education for basically the country, but science. You know, anyone who's interested in science, getting them engaged in this community. So this is um, four years ago, my first time I attended this conference, I didn't know anything about any of what was going on here. It was all really new to me, someone invited me, I showed up. Um, an interesting note on the right there, I, I saw Doug Welch's talk about um, sort of a, uh, echoes, and um, it was, I've never heard that before, it was amazing. He's now one of the invited speakers at the second annual conference on robotic telescopes, student research and education. Um, that I'm one of the, the science organizing chair people for in Hawaii. So it's just amazing how the community can really um, expand. Um, and uh, this quick story here, I, I was here, didn't know anyone, I heard someone say, hey, Russ Janae, he's a force of nature. And I was like, who's that guy? I've never heard him. Sorry, Russ. And I said, I want to meet that force of nature. Um, so then half an hour later, someone said, oh, there's Russ Janae at the bar. And I said, where? Where? I'm introduce myself. And um, four years later, we have an Institute for Student Astronomical Research. Um, we have, we've become a nonprofit organization. We have dozens of um, students, and there's lots of sort of offshoot program, programs that have developed over the years. But I kind of want to just sort of thank you to this community for being here. Um, so when I first started that, I hadn't had any training in astronomy, and I was working with students, in my high school students, and I wanted them to do research. I, joined up with us, we tried it. It was really difficult because I at that point didn't have the um, I didn't have all the tools and the supporting community that I really needed to do these things that I'd never done before but knew were really cool and the students loved it. But we did, you know, get some data and published in the journal of star observations on a couple of these double stars. Uh, but we then opened we had many conferences over the last four years and, and developed this this, like I said, is now a nonprofit you know, website. We have textbook. We've developed lots of um, materials. The uh, Small Telescope Astronomical Research Handbook is sort of the, the textbook for the course. And we have a whole online learning management system now developed that can be shared um, outside of Quest College where we developed it. Um, it sort of goes through all of what we teach and how we have students do research. Um, we have YouTube videos, for those of you that were interested in that, um, that go along, you know, how to use Astro if it's J. I was very excited to hear about John's program because one of the um, big problems we've, or small problems we've always run into is getting the program downloaded onto someone's computer and it works on some, it doesn't work on others, so we need to have something that always works. Um, so, um, again, this idea of community of practice. In education, you always want to sort of think about what 
what framework does your program fall under? And ours was sort of experiential learning, sort of project-based learning, but none of those really fit, except this idea of communities of practice. And Russ invited Etienne Wenger, who developed the whole philosophy of communities of practice, to come and talk with us. And we've met with him, and um, it's been really inspirational, actually. Um, but from his book from uh, 1998, some of the concepts, uh, learning transforms our identities. And I want to read a little bit more about that. It transforms our ability to participate in the world by changing all at once who we are, our practices, and our communities. And one of the things that we really um, emphasize and think about in our astronomy research seminar is getting students to a point where they feel like they are contributing, where they are scientists, not where they're just doing something in the lab that they were told to do, which is what most um, sort of undergraduate experiences or high school experiences are, right? And so that, that's a really important part of what we do, um, tr transforming their identities. And some of the evaluation we're doing is looking, talking to students and saying, did that happen? Um, and then information for its own sake is meaningless. Uh, it must capture our identities and expand them. It is more important for the informational content of an educational experience to be identity transforming than to be complete in some abstract way. So if you can think about back to class that you've been in, I know for all the education that I've been through, um, you can learn so many, many facts and even procedures and understand it, but if, if you're not really incorporating, incorporating it into what you do and interacting with people who are doing it, it, it loses most of its value. Um, and I want to mention, um, we got a National Science Foundation grant and year or two ago, and, and they've been supporting us in expanding. Another part of this community, which is amazing, and um, many of you probably have heard now about the GPO, the Great Basin Observatory, Great Basin National Park. This is a consortium of four universities that got the grant for this um, observatory. It was up first like two Augusts ago. But um, another aspect where this community has had a big role in, in the students that we work with, uh, last year, um, I mentioned to Bogani that I wanted to learn how to use ACP because I did. And he was like, hey, I'll show you how to use that. So we sat at the bar right up there um, on Saturday night. He showed me how to use it. We walked into that telescope with a, it's a CDK 700. Thanks for anyway. Um, and it just so happened that the next day, Russ and I were already scheduled to go meet with a team of students down at Concordia University. So we went down there. and. Uh, we met with the students, and one of the things, one of the lessons we learned, one of the things that makes this astronomy research seminar successful is having students take leadership, take ownership of their projects. Um, see, someone mentioned uh, students, um, oh, John said they never set their hands on a telescope or design their own experiments. And here, we really try to have students take ownership and, and give them, in a short period of time that we have, give them enough information where they can um, choose projects. And so up in the right hand corner you can see Lila. She, you know, we talked a little bit about double stars and orbits, and then Russ and I left the room and they went through and selected what objects they what object they wanted to study, and then we opened up my computer. I will say Paul Gardner right on the phone with him and say, I know how to use ACP, but I don't know how to get into the computer. So like we'll walk me through it. We got into the computer and they were able to submit their um, observation requests on ACP that day. Uh, and then um, they have a published paper was accepted a couple months later, and it's now been published. That was the first paper that came out of the Great Basin Observatory. So that was really amazing how this community, you know, 
was able, the people that I was interacting with and um, the students down there, we were able to really get them doing research. It was amazing. Um, there's a couple things I want to point out here. Lila is the second author on this. She got so excited, she just wanted to keep going. This is a really common theme in what in this astronomy research seminar. And where students, they do it, and then they are like, oh, this is fun, I want to do some more, and I want to do some more. I think our uh, student with the most published papers, Joe Johnson, it's on the order of 20. Um, but we have a number of students that three, four, five, and now we have students that are going and teaching other people how to do this seminar. Um, it's, it's really something. And the other thing to point out, you'll see uh, Dave Rose on here, uh, Richard Parshaw, he's been doing double star work for decades, <laughs> and he helps out. And just getting these students interacting with those who already know this and, and have been doing it for a long time, it's, it's pretty exciting. I want to thank um, Dennis Conkey and Dave Rose. Gosh, I don't know how these people get involved in so many things, but thank you for all your help and education. They've helped me start doing uh, exoplanet geometry and stuff like that with students. Um, let's see, so these, this is just a sort of list of how this program has spread to different organizations over the years. This isn't even complete. There's College of the Desert. Um, um, it's pictured. Uh, Paso Robles High School actually just joined and we had a course last semester. So it was high school students and they've written up their paper and submitted it. It was uh, accepted for publication a couple weeks ago. And they're now going up to Nautilus Observatory to use the intense scope there to do some more research. Um, it's just really amazing how this program is expanding. Um, there are some of the papers. <laughs> I'm not going to show you them all. We have 150, more than 150 now over the last uh, eight years, actually. There may not be a contribution. Uh, the left graph shows the number of JDSO papers from these two teams over the last eight years. And uh, in 2016, there was a special edition with lots of papers. And the percentage of papers in the JDSO from these two teams over the last eight years is a little misleading. It looks like we're just keeping out all the other people contributing to the JDSO, but that's not true. There's the total number of journal uh, articles has increased as well. And uh, I've interviewed students, this is just to give you a rough idea, I've been interviewing students who took the courses when they were in 8th grade, 10th grade, 11th grade, and then 14 just against for community college. Um, Louis girls, uh, I mean boys, um, just to give you a sense. And some of the things that we have found for them, from them, uh, they were a little surprising to me when we asked what were the best things that you got out of the seminar. It was never, I learned about double star orbits or stars. So for example, um, a student who took it as a 10th grader, this girl said, one of the best was that collaborative environment. I've worked in teams before, but it was different. There was a lot of people from different backgrounds, different grade levels, different experiences. And being able to work one-on-one -on -one with a professor was really interesting, um, an experience I've never had before. And then, of course, being able to say, I have a published paper, um, a research paper. That's come to handy so many times. And she says, she's currently looking for internships and bringing that up, and that's going to be a big impact. When I interviewed Lila yesterday, she um, talked about how she's, she's now doing a master's degree or starting a program in a couple weeks, and um, she said every professor she interviewed with said, you wrote that you got two publications here, um, so what job did you play in, in that publication? And she said at first it took her, it took her by surprise, and then she thought, oh, I didn't, I, I, I did the whole thing. <laughs> I learned about the background of the stars, I collected the data, I analyzed the data, I wrote the paper and then edited it and edited it and, and she said edit five times. It's really important. That's the hard part of the course is getting that paper away. And I submitted it to the journal for publication. And she said that the professors were always astounded to 
hear that. This is a true research experience. Um, so that's the kind of thing that we hear from a lot of students. Um, they, a lot of them are using their application, their research papers in applications for graduate school. I had one student say, it didn't help me get in, a student who took it in high school, said it didn't help me get into college. I, she said, I don't even think I put out my application. But it is helping me, it is helping me get internships now. Um, but then we have had students who said, oh my gosh, yeah, it helped me get into college. Um, it helped me get scholarships. Um, not all of them say that. Um, scientific writing, this is one of the biggest, the biggest impacts the students say, you know, in addition to teamwork, writing scientific papers. Those are the two things that impact the students the most. So these are really critical 21st century skills, skills for science, right? Learning how to work together, learning how to write. I have, I've had students compare this writing to their AP physics courses, where that's supposed to be college level, that's those are the highest you get generally in high school, and they said, when I looked at the papers in the journal Double Star Observation and what we wrote, it was way more advanced than what I was doing in my AP physics class, right? Um, so it's really making a big difference for these students. Um, do you consider yourself a scientist? This is a really interesting one. And almost all of the students said yes. The students that I would say are classically higher academically, that just means they tend to score better on standard measurements. You know, what we would call the better students, although they're not, the way we measure it is all wacky, but they often will be the ones that say, no, I'm not really a scientist. Well, let me think about that. And I've, I've had to sort of have them then define scientists, and sometimes they'll come to the conclusion, oh, yes, I'm a scientist. Um, so, but most of the students say yes, and then they'll, they'll sort of talk around it for a while, and then say, well, I've published papers. I've contributed to the data. Um, I've given talks. There's all these different reasons. And they're, they're starting to identify as scientists. And again, as I mentioned earlier, it, learning is much more powerful for changing identities. And that it seems to be, for many of these students, we are. Um, let's see. Uh, how did the astronomy research seminar most benefit you? This was, let's see, I have another quote here. Find it. Um, oh, this is the funny one. <laughs> I learned how to write a research paper and how to work as a team in a real-world way, unlike the equal participation stuff I have learned to dislike. really in it for the astronomy, but it turns out that was pretty fun too. <laughs> okay. We do advertise it as, as an astronomy research seminar, so I'm curious if I can ask that. why you take the course. Um, so um, in, a, in a survey of 22 students from a year ago spring, um, we did a, an online survey and 43% of responses to having the seminar most benefit you. Um, 43% of the responses said paper writing. And to me, as having been a high school teacher, oh my gosh, people don't know how to write anymore. Do you guys see that out there? It's really frustrating. And so the idea that they're, that's what they're getting from this is how to write, how to write scientifically. And a lot of their answers when I interviewed or they had um, free response answers to these, they talked about the difference between scientific writing and all the other writing. And that was, that's crucial. And I, I suspect many of us don't get that until we're in graduate school. Um, 
And then the scientific research part, again, we don't get that until we're in graduate school. I should mention um, these courses uh, and some of these students that I've been interviewing, they, they took this seminar in some form in eighth grade. So we have students that have published papers. You know, um, Sean Gillette spoke here last year about that um, at Vanguard Academy, and he has this amazing program where he has like students. So many students want to take it, they have to write essays to be accepted into the program. Um, and that's interesting, a whole another interesting story about um, that sort of selects for better writers, which at that age tends to be girls, which I think is great. We're not getting this, this large cohort of girls that are publishing, you know, basic double star astronomy research and, and going on. And I've interviewed some of them, and it's pretty phenomenal. Um, some of the people also thought the astronomy was feeling a lot, not as beneficial. <laughs> but the teamwork, and these are some of the things that we really emphasize and recognize as valuable. Um, so a lot has come out of the conversations here, the, the network of people. One of the things, and some of you may have heard, and some of you were here last year, ended up going to the first conference, first annual conference on robotic telescopes, student research, and education. So that's RTSRE, and that was in San Diego last year. Um, our second one is coming out of Hawaii. Feel free to you know, join us, great conversations, and Oh, we're exciting volcanic activity study. And then it's, it's co-located with the um, International Astronomy Teaching Summit, which is for, for um, college astronomy online courses. But anyway, uh, but one of the cool things that came out of that conference last year was a partnership for education with Las, Las Cumbres Observatory. So they have uh, 10.4 meter scopes located around the globe. And uh, they now have partnerships with like 18 organizations, including Brief, you know, you might hear about that, and Instar, our organization, and a bunch of other ones, where we just have free access to these telescopes. And they are like, use it, use it. And it's amazing. We wrote little proposals so that they accepted the, you know, the ones that were really valuable. Um, and that's amazing. And that came out of that conference, along with many other things. Um, and um, lastly, I'll just say, because I only have one minute left, um, tomorrow we're going to have a workshop for four hours in the morning, 30 to 12:30. If you're still around, feel free to join us about um, student research, education, collaborations. I love seeing these these things about collaboration that everyone's talking about and um, and curriculum design and all that. Uh, we have some students from Arizona who said they did the astronomy research seminar this past spring, and they are going to present their work and actually. Um, we have students from San Diego coming out to talk about their work, and they're also going to be presenting at the Robotic Telescope Conference, and they're helping organize it. Um, anyway, it's been an amazing experience for me, for the students, and it's really growing. And I would like to encourage anyone that's here that is interested in collaborating, working with education, whatever capacity you can, um, sharing your telescopes, etc., to to join this fun party. Thanks. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the Observer's Notebook podcast. I really want to thank uh, Rachel Freed for allowing me to post this as a podcast, and I hope you all enjoy it. We upload a new episode of the Observer's Notebook every few weeks. You can subscribe to us on the iTunes. If you do, please rate and review us. I really appreciate it. And you can listen to us now on iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Spreaker, Google Play, Stitcher, and Amazon Echo. 
You can help support the podcast by donating to it via Patreon by giving us up to $35 a month, where you will receive one year's membership to the ALPO and producer credits on the podcast. And with that, I want to thank the producer of this podcast, Steve Seidentop, for his generous support of the Observer's Notebook. The link for Patreon, as well as the link for the ALPO, is in the show notes. You can contact me via email at cometman at cometman.net or on Twitter at, at @observersnbpod. If you want to join the ALPL, membership begins at only $14 a year. You can find out more at www.alpo-astronomy.org. And you can find the ALPL on Facebook. Just search for ALPO Astronomy. And this podcast also has a Facebook page as well. Just search for Observer's Notebook. Until next time. My hope is you always have clear and steady skies. Thanks for listening.